It's good to see you guys today. I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, my name is Kyle. I'm, uh, I guess the, the lead teaching pastor here, if you will, and I'm glad that you're here with us. We hope that you enjoy your time and uh, so on and so forth. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Today we're going to take a look at the believer's help, the believer's help. Um, we are continuing a walk through the book of John, the Gospel of John. Uh, John was written by uh, one of the apostles of Jesus, and uh, whose name was John. And, uh, and so he writes this book, and he says at the end of chapter 20, verse 31, that he writes it so that we could see Jesus, see that He is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, and that uh, having seen Him, we could believe in Him. Uh, so that we may find life in His name. So what we're doing this week is just picking up where we left off last week in John chapter 14. Um, we're in the room, if you will, with Jesus. We are with Him and 11 of His disciples. Judas Iscariot has already left uh, to go do what He is going to do in betraying Christ. Uh, but Jesus is here with the faithful disciples, the ones who were truly His and he's offering some final instructions. He's offering some encouragement. And uh, so what we've seen is that he just promised them that they would do great works. He, he promises that after I leave, you'll do great works. And even greater than the ones that I've done will you do. Uh, he also promises that he'll answer their prayers if they pray according to his name, according to his will, according to his desires. Anything outside of that we can't expect to be answered, but anything we pray according to God's desire will be answered. And now what we see is that he's continuing to encourage them. And this passage contains a message from Jesus to his followers, to you and I as followers of Christ, that would help them live for Christ. And so before we move on, I just want us to remember that we're going to look at the text to see Christ. We want to believe what we see. We want to believe it in such a way that it brings life into our lives. Amen? In every area that we live. And so... Uh, we would be foolish to do that without prayer, to think that somehow in our understanding we'll understand this in a way that brings life. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, we love You. We are grateful for Your Word. We're grateful to be in this place. We are thankful that You have written out Your Word for us to study, to read, to know. Lord, we know also that, that these things that are written here are foolish to the world. That these things won't land on our fleshly ears in a way that will bring life. But the Spirit within us can testify to these things in such a way that it gives us life. And so we pray now for that. We pray, Father, that you would give us life by the things that we read today, by the things that we hear today. And Father, of course, I pray that nothing would be said for me um, that would not be in accordance with your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I said a moment ago that we're reading this text as we're in the room with Jesus. We're sitting there with the other eleven. And he's been telling them that he is going to leave them soon. And that as he's leaving them, where he is going, they can't go. At least not yet. And as you can imagine, these men who have been following this man for the last few years are deeply troubled by his words. He has been their rock. He's been their guide. He has shown them things they've not ever seen. He has been their strength. He has been their hope. 
And in all ways, He has done things in them that they could not have otherwise imagined for themselves. They've seen Him perform many miracles. He's, he has been powerful in such a way that in another Gospel, it's recorded that when He calmed the wind and the waves, they looked at each other and said, what manner of man is this? In other words, what kind of man is this? Who in the world could do something like that is what they were asking. They didn't understand it. It was beyond their comprehension. Jesus is unlike anything that they have ever seen. And now He's going to leave them? And I imagine that, that what they felt was maybe a little bit like they had been duped, right? Like Jesus comes and He's promising all these things and, and they're just not quite picking up on it all, but they just keep following Him and, and, and the Spirit keeps moving in them, He's working in them and all those things. And, and then they feel like now in this moment, all of this for nothing? Like now he's, he's going to leave us and all that we've given our lives to is now going to be meaningless? Or maybe they're just asking the question like, how can we continue to live this way, the way that we've been living, without that powerful Jesus beside us? How are we going to do that? How are we going to go on in this life without Christ? They're troubled as they think about these things. And so Jesus, knowing their troubled hearts, He begins to encourage them with things like, Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I am going to prepare a place for you. He tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As they ask, how do we get there? Jesus tells them, whoever believes in Me will also do these works. And greater works will He do than these that I do. He tells them that whatever you ask according to My will, according to My desires, I will do for you. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't end it with just those magnificent promises. He raises the standard of the help that they, will, that they will receive drastically. And so let's look at that in verse 15. Chapter 14, verse 15. We'll read through 26. He says there, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. Everybody say, Helper. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, in you and me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Everybody say home. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, everybody say Helper. The Holy Spirit, say Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's two quick observations that I think we must make as we're reading through this. The first is this, that Jesus makes it 
abundantly clear. It couldn't get any clearer, right? That the gifts that He is promising to His people here are not given to the world in general. They are reserved gifts for His people. For the people who love Him. That there is a, a love, as we know, that God reserves for His own people. We saw it in chapter 13, verse 1, where, where it said there of Christ that He loved His own who were in the world. He loved them even to the end. And we know now that that special love that comes from God comes with special gifts also for His people. We see here in verses 16 and 17 that He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. Yet a little while, as we see here, He says, yet a little while and the world will see Me no longer, but you will see Me. So the gift of help for the believer, the Holy Spirit, the helper that resides in us is something that the world cannot see. It's something the world does not know. It's something that the world is not given. And it's something that the world does not experience apart from a work of the Spirit in their lives. Amen? This is a work reserved for believers. The second observation that we must make is that those who do receive the helper, those who do receive the Spirit, are not simply called Christians. We don't just simply say they are Christians or that they are believers, but they're, Jesus says that they're described as those who love Him. There, there's an action to what they say they believe. There's something that follows who they are. We see this in verse 15, 21, and 23. I'll just read it again. Verse 15, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. In verse 21, Jesus says, whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Even in verse 24, he repeats it again. He just does it in a negative way, right? He said, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he's saying that, when I tell you that he who loves me keeps my commandments, and he who doesn't love me will not keep my commandments, he's saying that even that word, that thing, that reality or truth is not just from me, but it's from the Father. But the Father's saying these things through me. And so therefore we know that they are important. Now, I think though, if we're not careful, we can mistakenly understand this to mean that we must first love God before He will love us and send us the Helper. That there must be some kind of action on my end showing that I love Him before He will send us this Helper. But we know that that wouldn't line up with the rest of Scripture, right? And so the context of Scripture has to uh, come into consideration. The rest of Scripture, we see things like Romans 5.8 that God showed His love for us and that while we were still sinners, before we were good in God's eyes, before we were covered by the righteousness of Christ, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4.19, not even the Apostle John would believe that you have to love him first before he'll love you. He says, we love because he first loved us. So, so we know that the love that we have for the Father comes to us, in us, out of us, because he's loving us. It, what Jesus is saying to us is that God's love comes before and makes possible our love for him. And then he continues... God does, to love us by giving us the Holy Spirit as a help for our life, to help us live for Him, to help us exalt Him in all that we do. 
Which gets us really to the heart of the message, the heart of what Jesus is wanting to leave these disciples with today. And that's this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I made it super simple for you today. There'll be some other things I have you write down, but we'll start here. Believers have a great help for their lives. Believers have a great help, namely the Holy Spirit, for their lives. Again, the help isn't for the world. It's reserved for believers. It's reserved for those who believe in Jesus, who love Jesus. And this helper, this Holy Spirit in us, empowers us to live then as believers in this world. So, if we're going to say then that believers have a great help for their lives, then I think we need to talk about what do we mean by believers. Jesus here defines a believer this way. He says that a believer is someone who loves Him and keeps His commandments. So I was, as I was studying through this, trying to prepare for the sermon, I got hung up on this question in my mind. What does Jesus mean when He says, keep my commandments? Or what does it mean to love Jesus in a way that I keep His commandments? What does that mean? Well, first, I want you to know, I, I don't think, and I didn't think, even as I was asking myself that question, that Jesus was saying that we ought to love Him, or that loving Him is the same as keeping His commandments. I don't think that's what He's saying. I think that what Jesus is saying is that loving Him comes from, or comes before, and shows itself up by keeping His commandments. That a true love for Christ results in keeping His commandments. John Piper added this clarification. He says, keeping His commands is the result of loving Him. It is not the same as loving Him. It's the result of it. It's part of it, but it's not the same as. So really what Jesus is saying, if you love Me, the result will be that you will keep My commandments or that you will keep My Word. Oftentimes we love people in spite of who they are, right? Right? I mean, think about it. Think about your love for people. Think about your love for me. You all, I hope, love me in spite of me being an LSU fan, right? You're like, I'll just overlook that. Thank you. <laughs> we love our father or our mother in spite of their imperfections. I pray that my kids have that kind of love for me. I know that they do because they tell me they love me, even after I've been a total idiot, right? We, we love our spouse or we love our children in spite of the ways that they frustrate us. We still love them. But what we need to understand is that the love that we have for others, the love that we love, the way that we love people in spite of some of the things about them, is different than the way that we are to love Christ. We don't love Jesus this way. We don't love Jesus in spite of something about his character. We don't love Him in spite of what He is. We love Him because of who He is. That is what makes Him lovely. He is altogether lovely. There are no defects. There are no imperfections about Him. There is no sin to overlook in Christ like there is from us toward one another. There is nothing in Him that we should hide our, fight, our face from. He is not ugly in any way. He is beautiful and worthy of our love. Infinitely so. I mentioned Piper a second ago. I'll say this about Piper. He's one of the, the greatest modern preachers I've ever heard when it comes to describing how we ought to love or treasure Jesus. 
Not to mention that, but the way that he talks about the Bible makes me want to read the Bible even more. It's just incredible the way that he describes these things. But this is what he said about this love for Jesus or about the way we ought to love Jesus or why Jesus is lovable. He says love for Jesus is pleasurable, meaning that we shouldn't do it begrudgingly or that we don't have to do it begrudgingly like you may love your spouse or your child. Don't look at your spouse or your child right now, okay? Just keep looking forward. He says that it's desiring Him because He is infinitely desirable. It's admiring Him because He is infinitely admirable. It's treasuring Him because He is infinitely valuable. It's enjoying Him because He is infinitely enjoyable. It's being satisfied with all that He is because He is infinitely satisfying. It's the reflex, he says, of the awakened and newborn human soul to all that is true and good and beautiful, which is embodied in Jesus. He goes on to say, loving Jesus is not a matter of doing excellent things. It's a matter of delighting in an excellent Savior. I love that. We, we miss the mark on that so much. That's why I said we need to be careful not to misunderstand that Jesus is saying this in a, in a reverse way. He's not saying that you must do these excellent things. He's saying that your love for me produces these excellent things, that those things are a result of delighting in an excellent Savior. Now this idea of love, this way of love, is consistent with how John uses the word love throughout his Gospel. He tells us in John chapter 1 that people loved the darkness rather than the light. He told us just a few chapters ago that they loved the glory of man more than the glory of God. John is saying they wanted it more. They longed for it more. They desired it more. That it was infinitely more valuable to them than anything else. So when we say believer, what we're talking about is someone who loves Jesus in such a way that they delight in Him. That they desire Him. That they treasure Him and long for Him. That He is their hope. But we're also talking about today what loving Jesus by keeping His commandments means. And so when we say that we are to love Jesus by delighting Him, desiring Him, treasuring Him, there ought to be in us a desire to keep His commandments. That's why Jesus says this the way He does. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. He's saying that it will be the result of your love for Me. So what commandments then does Jesus have in mind? Is it just moral commandments? Like loving one another? I find it very easy to immediately think of those kinds of things, like serving others or loving others, and then I can begin to think about how poorly I do those things. But the commands that are repeated over and over throughout John's Gospel are things like this. Receive me. Believe in me. Believe in God. Follow me. Believe in the light. Abide in me. Ask whatever you wish, and I will give it to you according to my will. Receive the Holy Spirit. Eat my bread and drink my cup. It's things like that. Simply put, what Jesus is saying is if you love me, if you desire me, you delight in me, then you will keep my commandments, meaning you will receive me, you will believe in me, you will abide in me. Believers are those who love Jesus by treasuring Him above all things and desire to enjoy Him by abiding in Him forever. This is who we are as believers. But my goodness, doesn't that sound difficult? 
I mean, if I'm honest, if you're honest with yourself today, isn't it difficult, it seems, to love Jesus in this way? I find that I resonate far more, rather than if you love me, you will keep my commandments, I resonate far more with Romans chapter 7. Where Paul writes there out of frustration over his, his own spiritual condition, the life that he's living in Christ, saying the things I want to do, like love Jesus, follow His commandments. He says those are the things that I do not do. And he says the things that I do not want to do, like love myself, follow my own fleshly desires, are the things that I continually do. So we have to ask, how is this life possible? How is it possible to love Jesus and keep His commandments? Well, Paul answers his own question from Romans 7, or his own problem from Romans 7, with the hope of Romans 8, where he says there in the very beginning verse, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2 he says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He says just a few verses later, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Paul is saying it's only possible to live this way by living in the Spirit, by living according to the Spirit, by being made alive by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, not living according to my flesh. My flesh is dead. My flesh is weak. My flesh wants fleshly things, but the Spirit alive in me wants to be closer to God, to desire God, to treasure Him, to follow Him, to obey His commandments. Paul is saying that's the rub. But the truth is, the beautiful truth in this is, is that for those who are alive in the Spirit, those who have been born again by God through faith in Him, that those people, for those, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been made alive in the Spirit. Your flesh cannot condemn you anymore. Praise God, I can't believe anyone's not jumping out of your seat right now. This is incredible truth for us as followers of Christ. And so it is by the Spirit of God that you and I will love the Son. It's by the Spirit of God that you and I will keep any of His commandments. It's by the Spirit's leading. It's by the Spirit's production in us. We are not making these things happen on our own. If we have a desire to follow the commands of God, it's because God put the desire there where we fail to follow the commands of God and we recognize that we failed to follow the commands of God, it's because the Spirit of God put that there. He's convicting us. He's leading us into truth. He's leading us into repentance so that we become a better picture of Christ Jesus so that we're more fully following Him. It is the Spirit of God that gives us spiritual life. And that is the promise from Jesus here where He's saying the Father will be with you. I will be with you. We'll do this through the Holy Spirit, which the Father is going to give to you. So believers do have a great help for their lives. We do. We have a great help for our lives. Now, if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. I wrote a few things down here that are worth mentioning to you. Projection, I'm sorry. They're not, they weren't for you, apparently. <laughs> they didn't get to you. So anyway, number one, Believers have a great help for, the, uh, for their lives who is, number one, living and active. This help that is within you is living and active. It is not dormant. It is not dead. It is not uh, waiting for you to wake it up with some holy spiritual uh, voodoo. 
The Spirit is alive in you. He is active and He is, Philippians 2.6, bringing to completion that which He has begun. 1.6, sorry. He's bringing to completion that which He has started in you. It's the Spirit of God in you. Verse 16, we see this. This is confirmed for us that this is who He is. He says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. When He says another Helper, He means an Advocate. He means a counselor. He means someone with you actively. He, he, he means that it is not the Father who is going to be with you actively in that. It's not even Jesus who is with you in that. But it is the Holy Spirit who is with you. It is another helper. Jesus is the first helper, but He says, I will pray and you will receive another helper. It's good that I go away. So Jesus has ascended to heaven and He has sent another helper who will actively live with you. He's active. You don't have to worry about him being inactive. He is active in you always. This is why Romans tells us that even when we pray, we don't know what to pray. We come to the, we come to the Father with nothing but, but groanings. We're not sure what to pray. It says that the Spirit of God prays, intercedes on our behalf. Praise God for that. And even when I'm wrestling with what to pray for, even when I'm, I'm so beat down by the world or by my own sin, that the Spirit of God is interceding on my behalf. And so therefore I pray with confidence that the Spirit of God is making intercession on my behalf. That He's causing my failing words to mean something. He's making it effective. The second characteristic that we see about this Holy Spirit within us, this help that we have, is that He is teaching us. Verse 17 makes it abundantly clear, and verse 26, that He is teaching us. First, let me read verse 17. It says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, yet you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. In verse 26, what is the Spirit of truth doing? We see that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Helper here is described as the Spirit of truth. He is the one who will open your minds. He is the one who will open your hearts to see and understand and believe the things of God. He is dwelling in us. He is living in us. He is active in us. This is amazing, guys, that the same Holy Spirit of God dwells in believers to help us, and it's the same one who dwelled with these apostles as they were being sent. It's the same Holy Spirit in us. He's helping us understand all of God's truths. He's teaching us these things. He's helping us recall them in times where we need them. What this means is as you read your Bible, as you pray, and you feel like it's not going anywhere, that it's not doing anything, as you're seeking wisdom, you can do so with the confidence that you have the same Holy Spirit who taught these apostles, who wrote this book, this Bible, is in you. And no, He's not going to teach you new things. He's going to teach you these things. There won't be another testament of Jesus Christ, if you will. There won't be new Gospels. There won't be new letters to the churches in that sense. Not in an inspired sense. But He's going to illuminate what is here already in such a way that you get to now live with all power and all wisdom for Him. Amen? It's incredible. 
The second or the third thing we see is that he is actively caring for us. He is caring for us. In verse 18, he says, Jesus says here of the Spirit, that I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So in a very real sense, not only do we get the Spirit, but we're getting Jesus. We're getting Jesus through the Spirit. We may not walk with a physical Jesus beside us, holding our hand, helping us through life like these disciples got to experience, but we walk with His Spirit within us. The very same Spirit that was next to them lives within us and came to live within them. Therefore, what we know is that Jesus does still help us today. That God is still actively helping us today. That God is still caring for us today. That He has not left us as orphans. What do orphans need? They need provision. They need care. They need all sorts of things. And Jesus is promising here, I've not left you in that way. I'm not leaving you in that way. When I go, the Spirit's coming. The Spirit will dwell in you. He will care for you. He'll instruct you. He'll teach you. He'll, he'll dwell inside of you actively, growing you. We have the provision. We have the guidance. We have the care of God with us now and forever. We, we know that Jesus has not left us without help. He sent the greatest helper that He could send. Number four, what we see is that the Spirit shows us Himself. That God is revealing Himself to us through the Spirit. In verse 19, we see this. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus did die. Jesus did rise. On the third day, Jesus did appear to these believers. And Jesus ascended to heaven where an unbelieving world no longer sees Him. But you do, as Christians... As believers, believers see Him daily. We see Him through the work in our own lives. We see Him through the work in the world around us. We know that He's active. We know that, that God is still doing things. That He is not dead at all. We see that He's still very actively at work. And we know it because we see Him. We know it because He reveals Himself to us. The fifth thing we see this characteristic is that He strengthens us. The Holy Spirit, this helper within us, strengthens us. In verse 20, it says this. It says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That The helper is within us, and He is strengthening, strengthening us by testifying within us that we are His. That we're bound together forever with Him as He is bound together forever with His Father. Just as death couldn't separate Jesus from the Father, neither can anything separate you. Ephesians 1.13-14 says this about the Spirit. It says, In Him you also, when you heard, of, heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. That upon belief, you receive the Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it. That Holy Spirit is bearing witness within you as you live day by day that you are being strengthened, that you are growing in Christ, that you are uh, bound for a better homeland. That He's working those things in you. All to the praise of His glory, it says. The sixth characteristic we see here about the Spirit is that He is loving us. And He is showing us the love of God 
He's revealing it to us. In verse 21, we read, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That manifestation is the Spirit within us. And it's through the Helper that the Father and the Son are making their presence known to us. We know their love for us by their presence in us, by their living in us through the Spirit. We respond with a love for Jesus that results in following His Word, following His commandments. He is bearing witness in us. The seventh thing we see is that He's dwelling in us. It's the last one I want to show you. He's dwelling in us. In verse 23, it says that Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We have the promise of God the Father and God the Son that they are making their home in us through God the Holy Spirit. The, the word home here is only used one other time in the Gospel of John. We looked at it just uh, last week in verse 2, where he says there that I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or many rooms. And the word there that's being used is the word home. It's the same word here. There he's describing heaven. Here he's describing a dwelling place within us. Which means that what Jesus is promising to you as believers is that if you love me, you keep my word, that my Father and I will come to you, and in all your suffering, in all your trials, in all your pain, in all your struggle, in all your victories, we are with you. We are in you. We are here to give you as much of heaven on earth as possible. That you'll know heaven in a very real sense here, which will be known in an even more real sense there. Therefore, what we have is this confidence of heaven to come, as we saw last week, that there is a better home to come. It's coming. We know that. Upon our last breath, upon the return of Christ, whichever comes first, believers will reside in a better home forever. But we said last week we don't want to get caught up on eternal life starting at the end of our life because eternal life starts now. Eternal life begins upon belief. We receive eternal life upon belief. It's already begun in us. Death has no sting over us anymore. Death kills our physical bodies, but we are raised to life in the Spirit, praise God. We, we don't die forever. We live forever. We get to reside with Christ forever. So we, so we do have this promise of the Holy Spirit coming to be that place within us now. Jasper's going to touch on more of this next week. But we get the Spirit now in this way, in all of life. So indeed, we can say with great confidence that believers have received a great help for their lives. And so therefore, I say this, love Jesus. But, but don't just love Him in, in a way that you say, I love Him in spite of Him. Love Him because of Him. Love Him because He is lovely. Love Him because He's altogether good and right. Love Him because He's the only thing worth your affection. And so therefore, we ought to love Him in a way that we treasure Him. In a way that if we were to find a, a treasure buried in a field, we would go and sell all that we have to take hold of that treasure. That's what Jesus says about Himself. Those who find Him, it's like finding a treasure hidden in a field. 
Who of you would not go and sell everything that you have to take hold of that treasure? This is the kind of love we are to have for Christ. We are to love Christ in such a way that by comparison, we hate everything else in our lives. It's not that we walk around hating everything else. It's just that we realize that as anything could be taken from us so long as we get to keep Jesus, that He's the most valuable thing to us, that He's worthy of treasuring. But so many times we walk around with this clenched fist over all the things that we possess, even people. We, we think, man, if I lost them, my world would end. If I lost this, my world would end. If I didn't have this job, I didn't... And it's idolatry is what it is. What we're saying is, I want Jesus plus these things. It's the great quote, if you could have heaven, all of the stuff of heaven, the grandeur of heaven, and not have Jesus, would you still want to go there? If your answer is yes, then you don't love Jesus the way you're told to love Jesus. We should not want heaven for anything other than Christ Himself. And so we treasure Him. We love Jesus in a way that we'll follow Him by keeping His commandments. Those commandments are to receive Him. They're to believe in Him. They're to abide in Him. You know what I love about the commandments that we're told to keep? Is I, I can't live perfectly, right? Like I'm not going to love you perfectly. I'm not going to say all the perfect things. I'm not going to do all the perfect things. I'm going to really stink at life at times. The beautiful thing about the commandments of Christ are, or is, that they are, follow me, abide in me, trust me, believe me. I can do that. Like Even in my imperfections, I can follow Christ. I don't follow Him perfectly, but I can follow Christ. I can trust Christ. I can abide in Christ. He doesn't say, if you love me, and give 10% of your money all the time. He doesn't say, if you love me, go out of your way, sell all of your possessions, do all of these things, and then I'll know that you love me. What he's saying is, is if you love me, you'll treasure me above everything. And so even Jesus, when we say that we want to become more Christ-like, we talked about this on Tuesday night with the, the youth. It was just a great conversation. When we say we want to become more Christ-like, what are we saying? And what we're saying is we want to be as dependent upon the Father as Christ was. That even in my imperfections, even in my insecurities, even in my doubt, even in my anxiety, even in my sin, or especially in all those things, I can be more dependent upon the Father. I can trust Him more. I can believe Him more. I can follow Him more. Those are the things that Jesus is commanding. It's not a moral high road that is unachievable. He's saying, if you love me, sure, you'll do my commands, but the commands are to abide. The commands are to follow. The commands are to believe. I believe that when you're believing, you're following, you're abiding, then the results are, sure, a transformed life. A life where I begin to look more Christian, if you will. I begin to love people better. I become more forgiving. I'm, I'm more tender-hearted towards people. Unbelievers, just they don't drive me nuts like they used to. Right? I, I'm not angry all the time. I'm, I'm joyous. An angry Christian ought to be an oxymoron. You ought to be the most joyous person on the face of the planet. We, we, we shouldn't be angry all the time. We shouldn't be upset all the time. I mean, these are just the things that begin to happen as we begin to love the Lord more. I don't know where all that came from, but you're welcome. 
And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm not leaving you as orphans. You can do all of this. You can keep my commands because I'm sending a helper. I'm sending an advocate. I'm sending a counselor. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you. God is protecting you. God is providing for you. He's provided even the way to do the things that He's asked you to do. Isn't that incredible? Like it's not love me and keep my commands. Go figure out how to do that by yourself. Say, love me and keep my commands. Here's the helper to help you with that. Praise God. Even the things He commands of me, He supplies. He supplies the way to do those things. I'm not on my own. He's, he's protecting me. He's providing for me in very personal, very real ways. And as a believer, what we know is that we've become the home of God. We are the new temple, if you will. Christ and the Father, through the Holy Spirit, live in us, dwell in us. That I'm never, I'm never apart from God as a believer. I'm never too far from Him. He's always with me. I can't outrun Him. I can't outlast Him. Praise God for that. How many times am I trying to outrun God? A lot. Praise God I can't. I'm always a a, a swift whack with a shepherd's staff away from getting my life right. Amen? And I need that. I need that hook around my neck at times to pull me back. So do you. Praise God He's given it to us in the Helper. All right, so I want to clear the air just a little bit because I think, and I've got just a few minutes to do this, I just don't have the time that I need to do what I would want to do. I'll save that for another time, or you can write questions to me or whatever you want to do, and we'll, we'll work out it that way. But I think we need to go through a couple of things because I think there's a lot of confusion, at least in my life there was, around the Holy Spirit, or around how He comes, who He's for, and that kind of thing. And so I just... Who is he for is one question I want to ask and answer. The second is, I want to ask, is there a second baptism? Is, is there another experience that I'm missing? All right? So there's a lot of other questions. If you have those, feel free to, to email, to, to come by the office, whatever you want to do, and we'll, we'll sit and, and talk through these things. I don't have all the answers. We'll try to find them together. Number one, who is he for? Who is the Holy Spirit for? He is for all believers. Of this you can be sure. He is for all believers. Again, what we see in Ephesians 1 says that He comes at receiving Jesus, at at your receiving the gospel, the word, that, that the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, that He bears witness, and that He is the guarantee of an inheritance. The Holy Spirit resides in you. He is what helps us love Him. He's what helps us keep His commands. All right. We also see that it is the Spirit of God that gives life. That, that, that therefore anyone who believes has been born again by the Spirit, as we see in John chapter 3 in his interaction with Nicodemus, which I'll mention again here in a moment. We also see that believers live by the Spirit, according to Romans 8, according to Galatians 5, and many other texts. You live by the Spirit of God. All right, so the Spirit is for all believers. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will send a helper. He doesn't say, hey, you 11, if you'll love me. Remember in um, verse 12 of chapter 14, he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works. 
All right, let's not break up just because there's a section header between verse 15 and verse 12. Let's not break those apart. Those are all the same breath for Jesus. These are all a part of the same address. So what he's addressing here is believers. Whoever believes in him receives the Holy Spirit. All right, you clear? Clear as mud, good. All right, second, is there a second baptism? No. There is not a second baptism in the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible. Now here, let me walk through this. Ephesians 4 says this first, and this is where we're going to find our unity. All right, This is how we're going to live in unity with one another. There is one body and one spirit, just as you who were called to one hope that belongs to your call. He says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All right, so I've heard the objection. I've even had the objection myself. Well, what about John the Baptist saying, I baptize with water, but the one who comes after me will baptize with the Spirit? That seems to be evidence of a second baptism. As you see, with Jesus promising the Spirit to his disciples here and to us, Jesus' death and his resurrection, his going away, makes possible a baptism of the Spirit, if you will. Meaning, though, what he has in mind when, when he says baptism of the Spirit, when John the Baptist talks about a baptism of the Spirit, he has in mind a Titus 3, 5 baptism, namely a washing of regeneration and a renewal by the Holy Spirit, that there is an inner work that is taking place in you. That is the work of the Spirit. That is the baptism of the Spirit that the death and resurrection of Christ won for us. That was not happening in people before then. When Nicodemus comes in John chapter 3 and asks, how, do I become, how, do I, how am I to be born again? Jesus answered. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. He uses capital Spirit for the first part. That which is born of the Spirit of God is Spirit man. All right? So the Spirit of God work is doing a Spirit man work. It's creating a new Spirit in us. And he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and, it's, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And then he says this, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I'm convinced, scripturally, that there is one Spirit and one baptism. There's not an extra tier that believers can go to. There's a Spirit that regenerates us and gives us faith through a kind of inner baptism, that washing of regeneration. All right, And then we show that faith through water baptism, which would be where we see that there is one baptism. There's a water baptism to which we all would agree. Again, clear as mud. Lots of questions unanswered. I want to lay at least a foundation there for... Um, what Scripture says. Therefore, believers, you need to understand you have this great help. You have the Holy Spirit of God for your life. Now, isn't it astonishing that we are the room, we are the, 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 the body in which the Trinity takes up residence? It's amazing that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit reside in us, that we have become the new temple for, for all nations to see. 
Unbelievers, here's what I would have for you today. You, you need to know that Jesus is the perfect Son. That it was His obedience that is now counted as, as our own. It's counted as our own, not because we did anything to earn it, but because of our faith in Jesus, believing in Him, treasuring Him. It's that message that Jesus was perfect, that He died, that He rose again. It's that message, faith in that message, that is the basis upon which the Father adopts us as His own children. So, at belief, the Spirit comes into your heart and, and creates sonship in you. you. You become a child of God, which frees you then from your orphan-like ways of scrounging and hunting and hustling and looking for a way to make life happen. Frees you from all that. God becomes the perfect Father for us. He adopts us as His own children. And in that, you're led into a greater intimacy with the Father and with the Son. Amen? So we just have this question for all of us today. Whether we're believers or unbelievers, we all stand with this question in mind. Won't we then trust Him more fully? Won't we live with great help? Appropriate this great help. Use this great help that we have. Trust the Father and live by the Spirit in our lives. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?